So Acts chapter 20. Um, so Howard was uh, preaching on the, the last part of the passage in 19. And uh, this is where we saw that there was an uproar that took place. And through this uproar that took place, there are several disciples that were in the midst of everything that was going on. And the Apostle Paul, they told him to hold, hold back for a little bit. And then we get into this verse right here. So it's important that we uh, create the context for what is taking place right now. So now we see in verse 1 of chapter 20, and it begins with this. After the uproar ceased... Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. And he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement. He came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against them by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So Peter, the Berean and son of Phyrsias, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians and Aristarchus and Secundus and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, the Asians, and Tychius and Trophimus. These are difficult names, so bear with me, family, right? These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi, and after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Verse 7. Now on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutius, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from this third story and was taken up dead. Let me pause for a moment. That's pretty intense, right? Someone falls asleep through the Apostle Paul's preaching, right? That's kind of crazy, right? And on top of that, he falls from the third story building to the floor and he ends up dying. But verse 10 says, but Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Verse 13 but going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there. For so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he had met us at Assos, he, we took him on board and went to Mithlian. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite of Chios. The next day we touched at Samos, and the next day after that we went to Miletius. Verse 16, for Paul had decided to set sail past Ephesus. 
so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. All right. So that's an amazing story that just takes place. And usually when we read through this part of the text, what takes precedence in this text is the story of the young man that falls through the window. And a lot of times when this story has been read, the focus is on that, about you shouldn't fall asleep during service, right? You shouldn't take a nap, but most of us fall asleep, right, guys? Most of us, hey, we take some good naps in here. The blue chairs are comfy, the AC kicking, right? And then the message going through and take a little nap. But you see, this is not what the text is primarily about, There is a theme that's going through these 12 verses that I'm going to point at out of the 16 verses. And a theme that is going through is the theme of encouragement. So look with me at verse 1. Here we find that Paul sent for the disciples And after encouraging them, that's when he said farewell and departed. But notice that he sent for the disciples to encourage them. That's one time. Then again, we see in verse 2 that he says we had gone through those regions. After they left that area, they went through some more regions. And what did they go to do? He went and gave them more encouragement. So Paul continued to encourage the believers. Another time we see in verse 12. Verse 12, it says, And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Now, when we first look at the text and see, well, they weren't comforted. It says they weren't comforted. So, like, what's going on here? Well, that word comforted is actually the word from where we also get the word encouragement, which is also the word that is used in John 14, 16, where it has to do with the Holy Spirit being the helper, which in this instance is parakaleo. And that word parakaleo means is the counselor, the comforter, the one who will encourage you. So this is the words that Luke is actually using in the text. We see it in verse 1 and verse 2 and in verse 12. And here we know then in verse 12 that it's not saying your kid just fell out the window and he died and Paul brought him back to life, right? Through the power of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you be encouraged? Wouldn't you be like amazed like my kid was just dead and now he's alive? So I don't think the text is saying that they weren't encouraged by it. What we do see then is that it wasn't that they were a little encouraged. They were greatly encouraged. So the text is communicating then not only was they encouraged, Paul encouraging them from verse 1 and 2, but all the way to verse 12, we see the theme of encouragement. And every time in the Bible that you see a repetition When you see a repetition, it is signaling something important. Therefore, we ought to pay attention 
to what's taking place. We draw our attention to it. And what we see is that the Apostle Paul was always encouraging the believers. Now, in verse 1, we find that he sent for these disciples. Now, these disciples in the previous verses had just gotten in an altercation. They were, uh, they were being accused. Look at uh, chapter 19, verse 29. So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, the Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. So these same disciples were the ones that Paul went to go get. He says, bring me those disciples. But why do you think Paul was reaching out to them? Why do you think that Paul was reaching out to these disciples? More than likely, they had been discouraged by what had taken place. More than likely, these disciples had experienced this, this wave of accusations from, from the, uh, this is in the mission field. This is why they're doing ministry together. And everything goes southbound. Everything goes sour. And so Paul himself was closely acquainted with what it is to need encouragement because in the previous chapters, the apostle Paul himself needed encouragement. If we remember the part where the Apostle Paul had a, a, a dream that where God spoke to him and told him not to be afraid, for I am with you. So the Apostle Paul himself had to be encouraged by God personally. Now the Apostle Paul himself became a vessel of encouragement for others. Paul knew that discouragement can take you to a dark place of despair. Paul knew what it is to be discouraged and feel alone. Paul knew what it is that hey, when you fail at something, the enemy attacks and attacks and attacks. And so he went out of his way to go get these disciples. So we're seeing something in this text that the Apostle Paul himself extended this hand of encouragement to the disciples. You and I will be in places or times where we will need encouragement. Encouragement is a very part of our Christian life. You see, as we do life together, encouragement helps to rekindle that flickering fire. Encouragement brings great comfort and the confidence that the presence of God is with you. The love of God is for you. Encouraging words are like seeds of hope being sown into the soil of our hearts. It is important then that we see what's going on in the text that Paul is encouraging other brothers and sisters in the Lord. You and I will need to be encouraged. And you and I will be vessels of encouragement for others. Now, I know that plenty of times we say, well, the Apostle Paul himself 
you know, well, he was the apostle Paul, so he can go encourage people. He's a leader in the church. He's an apostle in the church. And a lot of times we think that the duty, the task of an, uh, uh, to be an encourager is only for leaders. The leaders should be calling everyone to be encouraging everyone. But little do you know that leaders need encouragement as well. The apostle Paul needed encouragement. For the, so the task of encouraging one another is not just for leaders, but for all Christians. So therefore, all Christians are called to encourage. So what is encouragement? Why is it so important? You see, to encourage someone is to give support, to give confidence, to to give hope. It comes from the word courage. That is to give courage to somebody that is facing trials and tribulations. That is to encourage somebody so that they would have courage in the midst of persecution, in the midst of hardship, to give courage to people. Without encouragement, we can feel overwhelmed by the real pains and hardships of this world. Without encouragement, our hearts can get so weighed down that it would lead us astray from God. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Or I believe Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12 and 13. And what I want us to look at that this is a call for each one of us to encourage each other. So all Christians are called to encourage. Hebrews 3 verse 12 through 13. This is what the word of the Lord says. Take care, brothers. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Verse 13, but exhort one another or encourage one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The author of Hebrews is reminding Christians to encourage one another. But look at what's taking place. It says it is an unbelieving heart that they need to be careful with. It is unbelief in the heart that will lead astray any one of us. And that is why it is important that we encourage each other. It says encourage one another. How often? It says every day. I mean... Think about it for a moment. To encourage one another every day. What does that say to us? That you and I will go through seasons in life where we need the encouragement of the family of God. You and I cannot do it on our own. We have this individualistic mentality, a lone ranger mentality. You and I cannot do it on our own. And we see here that, that we are being encouraged by the author of Hebrews that we should encourage one another. And he said, every day, every day we should encourage one another. Because what will happen? Unbelief. And unbelief will lead us astray from God. And that, that is why we need to be vigilant at encouraging one another. Not just leaders, but all the church should 
be vessels of encouragement. You and I know that Satan is the accuser of the Christians. He attacks us day and night. And we know that sin never sleeps. That Satan is constantly at work. And that unbelief is always calling us away from Jesus. So it's important that as the church, we're encouraging one another. Therefore, we need to be careful with negative people who weigh our hearts down even more with all kind of negative stuff. Like imagine being around someone that's always complaining, always murmuring, always doing this. Like, bro, like chill out, man. Like look to Jesus. Think about Jesus and what he's done for you. You think so much about negative things. Being around someone that's always discouraging you, always saying things. How long do you think you're going to go in that journey? But if you accompany yourself with people that are encouraging you, people that are pressing in the same direction, there's something that's happening there. The grace of God is working in them and through them to encourage you. And the same goes for you to encourage them. We also see in uh, Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 and 9. Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 and 9. And uh, 7 through 9, this is what it says. Uh, it says, Tychius will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know what we are, how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts, and that he may encourage your hearts. So this is these are regular labors uh, uh, in the ministry, regular people like you and I that Paul was sending to go encourage the Christians in Colossae. And now in 1 Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians, we find the same thing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8 through 11 It says this, but since we belong to that day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or are asleep, we might live with him. Verse 11, therefore, encourage one another and build one another just as you are doing. These are regular Christians that are supposed to be encouraging one another and building each other up. Like, think about it for a moment. Throughout these last two weeks, how many times have you been encouraged someone or someone has encouraged you? It's important, family, that we are becoming those kind of vessels that are encouraging one another. So we see then... Uh, in verse 11. Now look at verse 14. It says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, and help the weak, and be patient with them all. Saying, be patient with them. Encourage the faint-hearted. So this tells me that the people that need encourage is because their hearts are fainting, feeling weak, 
feeling discouraged? I mean, have you had those seasons where things are not going right? Anything you do keeps failing and your heart keeps weighing down? Doesn't your heart just feel like throwing in the towel, like giving up? It's like, why is it worth it? Why should I keep going? Why should I keep serving Jesus? Why should I keep sharing the gospel? I know I, I've had those seasons. I've had those moments where something seems too difficult. I can identify with the Israelites when they stood before the Red Sea and Pharaoh and the army was, was right behind them and they didn't know what to do. They saw the Red Sea and they're like, what are we going to do? A big wave of discouragement? Or like the Israelite army that was before the Philistines and Goliath comes out and they're trembling in the armor and they're not knowing what to do? Even their king didn't know what to do? I mean, haven't we had those moments where our hearts are discouraged, faint-hearted, as the scripture says? Let us be those kind of vessels that we can encourage one another, that we can use God's word to stir each other up, to build each other up. I heard a, a pastor one time said, he said, if you need an encouragement, be the first one to try to encourage somebody. And you will see how you will be encouraged through the process. A lot of times we stay and isolate ourselves and we're waiting for someone to just reach out to us. But maybe God is calling you to reach out to somebody and be open with somebody with what's going on in your life. We live in a time and a culture that teaches you to embrace the, this individualistic mentality. That you can do it on your own and, and, and therefore you, you pull away from community. But it's in isolation that the wolf comes after the sheep. It's important to be amongst the flock. Encouraging one another. Pouring into each other. And if you're needing encouragement, man, reach out to somebody. You and I, it's, it's a difficult walk. We're going to have problems. We're going to have challenges, whether it be at work, with family, with bills, with friends. Not everyone's going to come through for us. Things are not going to always go our way. And it doesn't mean for us to pull away. It means for us to draw closer. Pick up the phone, call another brother, another sister, and be like, man, you know what? been a difficult week for me. Can you pray for me? That's, that's what we're here to do, to encourage one another, to stir each other up, to build each other up. Now, what we find then back in the text in Acts chapter 20 is that we see that the apostle Paul comes to this point where he's encouraging them. And then he says, he goes through the different regions and he's encouraging different brothers. Now, in Acts chapter 20, remember, these are historical events that are taking place. 
He's also writing certain letters that we read in the New Testament. And this is what, I just love the way everything connects together in the scriptures. Because what you find in verse 2, it says, when, when he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. And there he spent three months. In the text, in, in this reference to Greece, that's in Corinth. This is in Corinth where he came. This is in, in Paul's already third missionary journey. And at this time, this is the second letter that he writes to Corinth before he gets there. So follow with me because remember in, in 2 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul spoke strongly about what was going on because there was, there was brothers that were doing some, some crazy stuff, and he was calling them out. And he, he wrote this heart letter of rebuke. Second Corinthians is a letter that goes before he gets there. And Second Corinthians is written, and he tells them that, that, that before I get there, I'm sending to you my, my, my disciples that are going out there, and, and they're going to go out there. And what they're doing is, they're encouraging the Corinthians there. They're preparing them before Paul arrives there. They come back to Paul and they tell Paul about the good report that the Corinthians took in that letter and they actually repented. That the ones who were struggling with sin because there was a certain person that was sleeping with his stepmama. There's a lot of drama. This is kind of Jerry Springer stuff. And so he rebuked that stuff that was going on and the leaders for being permissive of it. So it was a strong, harsh letter. And so in this part of the text right here in Acts chapter 20, we find that he writes 2 Corinthians as a letter to them. He sends a letter. Now the letter comes back to him. So he goes to Corinth and at Corinth, he writes another letter. That is the letter to the letter we find in Romans. The book of Romans was written around the same time. So now, now that I'm building a little bit of the historical context to it, now we're able to get into the passage because what we're going to find is there are different means that, that uh, Paul uses to encourage the Christians. Now, the first one that we see we find in Romans chapter 15. So if you can find, you can turn with me to Romans chapter 15. And look at what the word of the Lord says in verse 25 through 27. So ways that we can be an encouragement. We're going to look at what Paul did. So Paul says in the letter to Romans, says, at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. Let me pause for a moment. Why is he going to Jerusalem? Because he's bringing aid to the saints that are there. Now, verse 26, for Macedonia and Ikea have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. What was Paul's concern? It was the poor people, the poor fellow Christians that were in Jerusalem. 
That's what he was concerned with. And look at what follows up behind that. Verse 27, for, uh, it says, for they were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owe it to them. For if, for if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to also be of service to them in material blessings. So Paul was looking out for the needs of the poor Christians. The poor Christians that were in Jerusalem, he was concerned about their welfare. So Paul was gathering financial contributions from the churches that were amongst the Gentile people. And what he was doing, he was gathering that so that he can take it to the fellow saints that are in Jerusalem. And so what we find is that generosity or generous giving serves as a form of encouragement. When the gospel of grace is producing that generous heart in people, and all of a sudden, you know what, you're, you're seeing that there's a need with somebody. And you reach out to them and you be a blessing to them. And what we find is that also in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 through 7. Turn with me there. Or is it up at the top? No, it's not at the top. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And again, these letters, 2 Corinthians, is written around the same time of Acts chapter 20. And what did it say he went to go do? He went to encourage the saints. And as he's encouraging the saints, he's trying to get to Jerusalem. Because we find it in the, in the last verses, uh, verse 16 of chapter 20, that he's trying to get to Jerusalem. And he's letting us know why. He's, he's gathering a financial contribution to be a blessing to the saints. And look at what uh, chapter 8, verse 1 through 7 says. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their parts. For they have they, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. The same thing that he's talking about in Romans. The relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves First to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So Paul is saying they first by the gracious work of God and by the will of God, they gave themselves first to Jesus and then to the rest of the, uh, the disciples. They're like, how can I serve? Like they were telling the apostle Paul, in what ways can we serve? And the apostle Paul shared with them, there is needs that need to be addressed. They said, we'll, we'll help. And they were in a place of poverty. The churches here that it mentions throughout uh, the places of Macedonia, they weren't like wealthy churches, big old churches. But in the midst of struggle and, and, and poverty, they still gave abundantly because they wanted a help. 
And what Paul is doing, he is inviting them to be part of this contribution of being a blessing to others. And look at what it says in verse 6. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, that he should complete among you this act of grace. What is generous giving then considered? An act of grace. A lot of times we see it like it's out of composure, like, oh, Lord, we got to give. Like, we see it as an act of grace because the grace of God has worked in your life. And according to that proportion now, it, it stirs your heart to want to give. And us giving to be able to serve the needs of the saints serves as an encouragement. How many times have you and I not been in a place of need? And all of a sudden, a brother or sister come through and they, and they bless us. Whether it had been maybe a time where we needed our rent to be paid, maybe we needed our light to be paid, maybe we needed gas for our car, maybe we needed groceries. It, it doesn't matter. We've been in those places. But when we've been in those places, what a blessing it is when someone comes out of their way to reach out to you, to be a blessing to you. And what we find here in the text is that Paul is inviting the churches, the Christians in these churches, to partake of this. To be able to be a blessing to somebody else. During Harvey, we saw the church stand up. We saw the church take a stand. All of a sudden, churches everywhere were coming together to serve the needs of the people. It, doesn't, it didn't matter who you were, whether you came to church, whether you didn't come to church, whether you were a hater of God or a lover of God, you were still people created in the image of God. Therefore, the church was going to the people to serve them where they were at. We saw it in the TV. We heard stories about it. The church taking a stand and serving the needs of the people. We are part of a network of Acts 29 network. And this was a huge encouragement to us. Because globally, Acts 29 is a, 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 a church planning network that is global. And so all of the churches everywhere brought, came together and contributed together to serve the Acts 29 churches that are in Houston that were affected by Harvey. I mean, that is a huge encouragement. It was, uh, you know, me and other several churches, they reached out to us and they said, look, we heard that Harvey, uh, uh, you know, impacted y'all over there. How can we be of service to you? Man, calling me, emailing me, encouraging me. One of the brothers, I mean, he came from like way up north all the way to Houston to check up on the other Acts 29 churches to see how they were doing. That was a huge blessing because a lot of times you can feel alone in what you're doing in the ministry and something like Harvey take place. You're like, is there anyone else out there? And to see how they came together to be a blessing to one another, this is what they are modeling exactly what we see in Scripture. Financial contributions come as a blessing to people. They're an encouragement to people. And we see then the Apostle Paul 
encouraging the church to be in action. But what are other ways that encouragement, that we can be of an encouragement? The other way is our presence serves as a huge encouragement. Not through social media, not through FaceTime or Skype or whatever kind of stuff is out there. All those social media things, what they've done is, is taught us how to be disconnected from one another. But what we see in the text, there is beauty in this personal relationship with each other. Turn with me uh, to Romans chapter 1, verse 11 and uh, 12. Romans chapter 1. And look at what we find in verse 11 and 12. This is the Apostle Paul, and this is what he's saying. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. There's a mutual encouragement that takes place. But Paul is saying, I long to see you. How many of us, like honestly, like once we leave from here, we go home and we're about our own business. We can forget about what the other people are going through. We live in a time and age where, man, I'm talking about this culture celebrates individualism. But what we see here that the apostle Paul said, man, I long to see you, to see you face to face. There's, there's something beautiful about companionship, about brotherhood, about being able to be together, about meeting up in the morning and having breakfast together, eating some menudo, right? Eating some tacos and everything and just encouraging each other. There's something beautiful about that. When we get together throughout the week on Tuesday nights, man, I could be dead tired from working. But being around the other brothers, I, yeah, I'm tired. But, man, there's this joy that I, man, to be able to be around other brothers and sisters and to remind each other that we are imperfect people looking to the perfect one that is Jesus. Oh, that serves as huge encouragement. That's why we encourage our missional community groups to be connected in them. I'm telling you, it's easier to be alone, right? Isn't it easier to be alone? We have to fight against our flesh to be in community because the enemy knows. The enemy knows it's better for you to be alone and he's going to encourage you to be alone. But to be able to be in person with other people in a personal relationship where you're connecting with one another, where you're encouraging each other. We see it also in the text where we see in Acts chapter 20, where look at verse 4 in Acts chapter 20. That so Pater the Berean, son of Piraeus, accompanied him. And of the other Thessalonians. So there was a group of people that was always accompanying Paul. They were his companions. They were always traveling together. They were always in community. There's a beauty about being in community for you encourage one another. 
So let not social media be a replacement of that. Oh, I'm going to just shoot him a text. No, there's something good about hearing your voice. Like, man, brother, how you doing today? Hey, you know what, bro? Can you pray for me? Hey, you know what? Oh, man, we're going through a difficult season right now. Imagine if more of us did that. But another thing that we see, another form of encouragement we find, is through corporate worship. The corporate gathering, when we get together, serves as an encouragement. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through 25. Look at what the word of the Lord says. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And it says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. You see, even back then, some of them wouldn't even come and gather as a church. People have struggled all along. So if you struggle to come on Sunday mornings, you're not alone. I've struggled at times as well, right, brothers? Like, man, it's, 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 it's real, so many things that come across our path that discourage us from coming together. But here in the text, it says, do not neglect to meet with one another, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The Bible is telling us, do not neglect coming together. We should gather in corporate worship. And what happens when we gather together? We stir one another up in love and good works. When you hear about what God is doing in Brother Marshall's life, it encourages us, right? When you hear what God is doing, then like, you know, Brother Eduardo back then, you know, we went on Friday, right, to go see the Latino brothers over there coming together. But that was encouragement that we got in this gathering of other believers where we come together here on on Sundays and we're telling each other how how our week has been going and you know what we're putting down our masks because we're not trying to hide the gospel sets us free we can be open and transparent like bro it's been hard and now you know me and brother Eduardo were talking about this on Friday because there's something about our culture that, that God's grace has been working in us, man. Because when we go somewhere else and people are telling you, hey, how's it been? And I tell man, bro, it's been hard, man. It's been difficult. They're like, hey, wait a minute. But God is powerful. Like, you, you should be looking to God. And you're like, man, chill out, bro. You want me to be honest with you or not? I know that God is powerful. But I'm being transparent with you, man. Like, yeah, why? I'm being transparent because, hey, I also need that kind of encouragement. Not for you to automatically think, oh, he's struggling, he's falling apart, this and that has happened. No. But we notice that when we're out there, we're being open with people. They're like, immediately they're trying to give you two steps to try to get a better life now. (laughs) Like, calm down. Just give me Jesus. That's all I need. And so it's important that when we gather together in, in corporate worship, We're encouraging each other. We're stirring one another up to to love and and to good works. Now, there's a mutual edification that takes place. 
You see, not only are you a vessel of encouragement, but you also will be one that will need encouragement. Be reminded of that. Don't always think that you're going to have it together and you're going to be encouraging people. You're always excited. You're always telling this. Hey, you yourself are going to be in those moments. So just because a person looks always excited doesn't mean they don't need encouragement. A lot of times they need more encouragement than you think. I know a lot of people that are like that. So each one of us should encourage one another. Now, what we see then through the text is also that uh, in verse 6, it says, uh, it says, but we sailed away from Philippi, and after these days of the unleavened bread, in five days they came then to Troas, where they stayed for seven days. Now, verse 7, now we get this, to this part in the text, but verse 7 through 12, they're gathering together when? On the first day of the week. Why is it encouraging then? To look at this, that they gathered together on the first day of the week. You see, the first day of the week reminded each other of the empty tomb. This is an early account where we see the church gathering together on a Sunday. And what did the Sunday represent to them but an empty tomb that Jesus has resurrected? Today when we come here, man, don't come in and you're like, oh, man. We gather together here because there's an empty tomb. There's a risen Savior. Jesus is alive. He's alive. He's resurrected. So when we come in here, we gather on Sundays. There's so many things competing against that where we find football baseball all kind of sports all kind of programs all kind of things that are intended to distract us from coming together on Sundays but why should we gather because Sunday reminds us there is an empty tomb there is a savior who is in heaven interceding for us There is one that is greater than us, that has come to rescue us. So why do we gather on Sundays? When people ask you, well, why not sometimes? No, we come together on Sundays because we're reminded of the empty tomb. We're reminded that Jesus rose from the dead. We're reminded that sin, death, and Satan have been defeated. And so when we gather together on Sundays, we're reminded of that truth. So it says that they gathered together and they broke bread and Paul began to talk to them. When we see in the text this breaking of bread, that is a reminder that they were partaking in the Lord's Supper. They were partaking in the Lord's Supper. And so what is encouraging about partaking in the Lord's Supper? The substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. You see the bread and the juice? Here in a few minutes, we're going to be partaking of this. But when we partake of this, this is to encourage us and remind us of what Jesus Christ has done for us. When we come and take it, there's nothing magical about it. But by faith, we take it and we encourage each other that Jesus will come back. That's what, that's what Paul says is why we do it. 
He says, you take communion, and when you take communion, remember Jesus, and you take it until he comes back. Therefore, every Sunday, they would gather together, and they would have communion. There are some churches that have communion once every quarter. It's good. It's cool. But we choose here at Geruso to have communion every Sunday. Every Sunday as an encouragement and as a reminder of what Jesus Christ has done for us. May it never lose its awe and wonder when we approach this time. When we come up to the front and partake of communion, may we not think of it as some kind of meaningless time that we partake of. But this is utterly important. It is It is called the Eucharist. And you know what Eucharist means? The highest form of thanksgiving. When we come up here is the highest form of thanksgiving that we give to Jesus for what he's done. So how do we encourage one another? We're partaking of this. You see in the gathering of God's people. But not only that. It is also in the proclamation of God's word. It is through God's word that we encourage one another. Now, Romans chapter 15, verse 1 through 7. Let me read to you this. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. It says that we have an obligation. Not that, oh, well, we'll see if you do it. No, it says that we have an obligation not with the failings of the weak. And it says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. We should be building each other up. And it says, for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Verse 4, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance... And through the encouragement of what? Of the scriptures. That you will be granted to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We see that the Bible talks about using the very word of God to encourage each other. Using the gospel promises to encourage one another. So when God puts somebody in your heart, what should we do? Ignore the prompting? Or should we call them? A few weeks ago, me and another brother were gathered here. And we were reminded about a certain sister. We said, you know what? How about we call her? How about we call her just to see how she's doing? And lo and behold, when we called this sister, she was going through a difficult time. The sister had just gotten over the flu, so she was sick. She was discouraged, all kind of stuff and negativity that she was encountering. She didn't have other brothers and sisters there, really, that she could be in communion with. And the moment that we called her and we said, let us pray for you, sis. And we prayed there with her. 
and served as an encouragement for her. I guarantee you that was a fuel that God used to keep her going. Man, if someone, if God puts someone in your heart, call them. Don't just text them or when you see them, be like, hey, I was thinking about you the other day. No, call them. Man, set up a time where you can meet up with them. Call them, pray for them, or pray for them at that very moment and remind them of the promises of God. Of what is true about God, and that's why it says you encourage them through the scriptures. All the other ways are great ways to encourage one another. Being present in another person's life, learning to be there for them, but there's nothing that can take the place of the word of God. The promise of God that you can encourage the other believers. And so we finalize uh, with this family is that Paul used the word of God in this time. We see it throughout the text that he said that he talked with them, that he prolonged his speech. But during this time of worship service, the word of God is being communicated, is being taught amongst one another. We see it then in Romans where we're uh, reminded uh, of the importance of the word of God. So you and I are called to be vessels of encouragement. You and I will go through seasons where we need encouragement. Reach out to somebody. Do not believe the lies of the enemy that you can do this on your own. That's what the world would tell you. They would tell you that it's a sign of weakness if you tell somebody that you're struggling. But when you come into God's economy, into God's kingdom, it is the weak who are made strong in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say those who got it all together. It's those who recognize that they don't have it together, that they need the grace of God, who receive the grace of God and are empowered by the Spirit of God. You and I need one another, family. We're not meant to live this Christian life on our own. Therefore, how can you today or this week be an encouragement to people? Get someone's number from here that you haven't reached out to before. Before you leave those doors, Engage with somebody. You know what? Set up a day that y'all can go hang out somewhere. Go have dinner or something. Or you know what? Let's go watch a movie together or, or something. But create this time of community where you're encouraging each other, getting to know one another. But I tell you that there will be many things that will hold us back from encouraging each other. Two I will point at is when we say we're too busy. We say, we're too busy to reach out to somebody. We're too busy to let people know how we're doing. We're too busy to, to try to reach out to the other brother and sister, and we know they're in need, and we know they're struggling, but yet we're too busy. Paul had all kind of stuff going on in his life, but yet he made time to encourage the other saints. You and I can make time, family. This time belongs to God. It's not ours. The second way is we're inward focused. We're too inward focused. We're more concerned about ourselves. We're more concerned about ourselves that we don't want to create time for others. 
America serves one of the biggest idols, and that is the idol of comfort. To go sacrifice your time and your comfort to serve someone else is like a big no-no to us. Like, ah, I don't know. It might make me be uncomfortable. I don't know about inviting them into our home. I don't know about us going to their place. Well, um, you know what? I have a busy schedule. I got all these things to do. We're so inward focused. Jesus, if he was inward focused, he would have never came to us. But Jesus was outward focused. He saw the needs that we had. Therefore, he came to earth to serve us in our greatest need. And that is to be reconciled back to God. So you and I, we are vessels of encouragement, family. Let's bow our heads.